I'm going to continue today to preach a series that started a few weeks ago. This is the fourth in a series that I've entitled Privileges of the Kingdom. Privileges of the Kingdom. And, and, I, and I've shared this and, and with you and uh, some of you may, if, even if you didn't hear me say it, you probably picked it up. And really, this series is about the seven marks of a disciple. Those seven marks, they, they show up on the pre-Sunday school service loop, and they show up on the post-worship service loop, and it's white background with a blue circle, seven M words in there. And so I'm choosing not to use those M words in what I'm doing, but the marks of a disciple, while they are expected and it things that we should do, it is also a privilege. It's a privilege to be part of the body of Christ as a member of God's kingdom. Amen. It's a privilege to worship God and to magnify Him, which is that second hymn that I preached about. It's a privilege to to give Him praise that the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the God of glory, wants our praise and He hears our praise and He hears our worship and He sees our lifestyle of worship. It's a privilege to do, not just an obligation, but it's a privilege that we get to worship Him. And then what I preached about last week is it's a privilege to grow to mature, that it's not just the new birth, it's not just the end, it's not the end, it's the beginning of this lifelong relationship with Jesus Christ. Today I'm going to preach about the privilege of stewardship, the privilege of stewardship, and the M word that I'm not really using is manager. I'm going to read two verses and then I'll let you be seated and then walk through much of the chapter of Luke chapter 19. Two verses, Luke 19, verse 12. He, this is Jesus, said, A nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas. And he said to them, Do business with this until I come back. And from that and the remainder of this chapter, I want to preach on the privilege of stewardship, the privilege of stewardship. And Alaric is happy about talking about stewardship today. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. We have a lot of money trouble in the world. Anybody have money trouble? Sometimes it's money trouble because you don't have enough and you need more, and other times because you have too much and you don't know what to do with it. It can be on both ends of the spectrum, and sometimes just having money can cause trouble. You see this a lot of times in professional athletes, that they will get these big, huge contracts, millions of dollars a year, and depending on their age and depending on those around them who help them, they can in after three or four years of making multi-million dollars a year, be broke. Not managing it well, they can, they can owe more in taxes than they have. You see this a lot in, in various sports, some sports more than others, where they will end up that the IRS is on their trail because they didn't pay their taxes, or they gave all of their money, all of the people that were acquaintances that ever knew them at any point in time would come and, hey, you've got money, I need this and I need that, and 
They'd be doling out money and family members that they didn't even know they had would be asking for money because now all of a sudden they have this money and they mismanage the money that they have and end up sometimes in jail even because they owe so much. So whether you have a lot of money or you have little money, you can have trouble. In fact, I I saw this, I don't want to scare you, but if you have read the back of the book, the Bible that is, you know there is a money system that is coming to this world, whereby if you do not take the mark of the beast, you cannot buy or sell. It is already implemented, not, not that one world government system, but systems that are going to be the precursor to that in various places where you... They're looking for, you can only spend so much money on beef or so much money on this or you've had your allotment of this and allotment of that places in the UK and it is even coming to America. You can't drive because you can't get gas because your carbon footprint is too big and you've driven too many miles this month as they track you through your phone and other devices. It is a systemic and systematic takeover of the money system of the world. I I don't want to... That's just one little piece. That is coming. But money is referenced in the Bible some 2,500 times. You may have heard me say that in other ways. 2,500 times. More than prayer and fasting and heaven and hell combined. More than sin or salvation. Money is used both as a just a description of what is taking place and an analogy and illustrations that Jesus would use. And in the chapter, the two verses I read, he's once again telling this parable when he's using money. So it is a big deal. Why is it a big deal? Everybody needs money. It's not an uncommon thing. The reason money is a big deal is it often will serve as a litmus test of our relationship with God. That how we view money and how we handle money is instructive and informative of our view of God. Why do I say this? Well, it's two primary things. One is this, is that if you don't manage money well, it's often because you value money or things above God, and you don't use it according to His principles. I was talking to someone earlier this week, we were meeting together, doing a little Bible study discussion, and this issue of value, that people want to spend their money on things because, instead of the way God would intend for them to do, because the stuff or the things means more to them than God does. It's a value question. For others, it is a trust question or a trust factor. I don't give to the kingdom. I don't follow God's principles of money because I'm trusting my money to take care of me instead of trusting God to take care of me. What if I give and then I don't have enough? What if I pay my tithes or I pay offerings or I give to somebody in need and then I'm like, I'm short. What am I going to do? Do you trust your money? to take care of you, or do you trust the God who owns that money to take care of you? Stewardship is the word you see on the screen, and it is not a common word in our culture. 
before I get into the meat of the text, a little bit of background to this story. Jesus, in the beginning of Luke 19, he has passed through and he is going to Jericho. Yes, that Jericho, that same name of the city that was laid flat in the book of Joshua, where the walls came tumbling down. In fact, Jericho referenced in the first song we sang that praise brings down the walls of Jericho, or Jericho's walls down. In Jericho, there is a man called Zacchaeus, tax collector, a cheat, who would charge more taxes than were due, and he would take those, but he hears that Jesus is coming to town, and many of you know the story of, of Zacchaeus. He, he climbs up in a sycamore tree. The implication is he's not real tall and he can't see over the crowd, so he, he climbs up in this tree so that he can get a glimpse of Jesus. Little does he know that Jesus gets a glimpse of him. And Jesus decides that he's going to the house of Zacchaeus. And when he does, Zacchaeus realizes his sinful ways and says that he's going to repay those whom he's stolen from fourfold. It's about money. Zacchaeus, after money more than God, and he's stealing from people. He's overcharging them. And Jesus would say to him, salvation has come to your house today. When you realize and you get this money right, it's going to lead you to salvation. That that now when you understand who I am, and you're going to value me more than money, and you're not going to steal anymore because you're going to trust me to take care of your needs. You don't need to still to have what you need. And Jesus would follow up his statement that salvation has come to the house of Zacchaeus with this, that he came to seek and to save the lost. As Luke records it immediately on the heels of that, Jesus tells this story. It's a parable. Once again, a parable is a story that is not historically accurate, but it is a story that Jesus is telling to illustrate a truth. And from this story, and I'm not going to read it all now, I'm going to walk you through it together. I'm going to give you a number of principles from this story that Jesus tells that speaks to our privilege to manage well God's resources. The first is this, it is the principle of stewardship itself. This story, Jesus says, the the master calls ten of his slaves and he gives them each a mina, which is a form of currency. It's a coin, actually. He gives them this coin and he said, do business with this until I come back. In this story, of course, the money does not belong to the ones who receive the money. The money belongs to the one who is giving it into their hands and to do business with this money. So stewardship is ultimately this. It is managing something for someone else that doesn't belong to you. It's not your money. And in the reality of things, everything that we have, it's not really stuff we have, but it's stuff that is, belongs to God that He allows us to use. God owns it all. I referenced this early that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills and 
I like to tell people, and he owns the hills too, and he owns the gold in the hills. It all belongs. It's not just the cattle. He, belongs, he owns it all. It all belongs to him. Everything is his. And anything we have is because God has entrusted it to us for his purposes. He doesn't give us in this story, you see this, do business with this. Whose business? The master's business. Don't do what you want with this. Don't do, do however, you, however you think should be. You, but do business with this on my behalf. We see this actually in our culture in, in one primary way. If you have a financial investor, if you have a million dollars that you have invested in a company, whether it's Fidelity or whatever you name them, it doesn't belong to them. They're managing it for you. It's in essence what we have is that everything I have is God's and I'm managing it on His behalf, which means that I need to do it His way. That I need to use money and resources God's way. Anybody? Well, man, when are we going to get to the spiritual stuff? When I was growing up, People would, would talk about baptism, and of course, that's a big deal. We believe in the essentiality of baptism and in the name of Jesus, and a pastor would say, man, we baptize these people. We need to baptize them with their wallet in their pocket, because it needs to be sanctified, too. <laughs> how they view money and how they handle money, because it really is a spiritual thing. It is the litmus test. Do I value money more than God? Do I trust money more than God? Do I think that I own it instead of I'm managing it for God? Another common phrase when people are preaching this this kind of thing is people say people will do stuff for gold that they won't do for God. They'll get up and drive an hour and a half every day to work and then won't drive five minutes to church. Why? Because they value that paycheck more than they value the God who gave them the ability to work that job and who gave them that job in the first place. And in the text, verse 14, his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over this. This master who's leaving, he's getting his kingdom. They didn't like him. They didn't want him. I would just tell you this, that Many people don't like God's rule. And many people don't want to acknowledge that he really owns it all. And so then they will be like, no, it's really mine. I get to do what I want to with it. And they're pushing God out of the picture. But they resented that landowner. And even in, in more modern times, people that would own land and would have people that would come and work the land for them. And they would give them a salary or they'd give them a piece of the land that they could use and do their own they would resent the people who own the land. It's, it's not uncommon. It's the human condition of our fallen human condition that we resent the fact that it's not mine, but it's really his. If we're not careful, if we don't value him more than money, if we don't trust him more than money, then we'll resent him because it's not mine. And early on in every child's life, their first words, maybe mama or daddy, but shortly thereafter, Usually in the top ten, or the first ten words they learn, mine. 
Anybody got kids? They learned that real quick. Mine. It doesn't matter if they'd never seen it before. You get them in the nursery or the preschool, mine. We want to say it's mine. Second principle is this. It is the principle of accounting. I'm not going to get into a bunch of numbers and really go through accounting, debits and credits and balance sheets and P&L statements and cash flow. Some of you are going, oh, that'd be cool. We'll talk about that. Others of you are like, I have no idea what he just said. But the principle of accounting shows up in verse 15. And when he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money he be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. You see this over and over in the Scripture. Not just in these parables of Jesus that are specifically about money, where they have to give an account. You see this in the other parables where the, the one servant is given five talents and two talents and one talent. What happens? He comes and he has to give an accounting. This is not the same story. That story is told elsewhere in Luke and also in Matthew. This is a different money story that Jesus is giving. We're saying money was given and there's going to be an accounting at the end of it. People do audits at the end, of, in most of many businesses, they have to do an audit at the end of every year. What are they doing? They're doing an accounting of where the money went and what money came in and was there embezzlement and was it used properly. And people who help do that process are called accountants. But it's not just anybody that's going to take an account of what I do. And it's not just anybody that's going to take an account of how I live. And it's not just anybody who's going to take an account of what I do with the resources God had given me. But God himself is going to be the one who does the account. And you see this show up throughout numerous epistles as well when a given account for how we live and given account for what we've done. And and that when we stand before Jesus at that great day of judgment, what are we doing? We are giving an account. We're answering for how we did with what we have and what he has done. And Paul would write of this that when we stand before him, it's going to be determined whether our actions were wood, hay, and stubble or gold, silver, precious stones. It's going to be tried in the fire, and the wood, hay, and stubble is going to burn up. That the things we do, if they're not worth much, if they're not of any eternal value, it's just wood, hay, and stubble. I made a lot of money. I had a lot of friends. I did a lot of things. But if it's not for the kingdom, it's just wood, hay, and stubble. But I want, when when I give an account to him, I want him to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want it to be gold and silver and precious stones that can stand the fire of judgment. And Jesus would speak often of people who are to be 30, 60, 100 fold Christians, that there has to be a return, that we are to be fruitful in our relationship with him. There is going to be an accounting. The third principle, as I hurry, is this. It is the principle of sowing and reaping. The longest section of this text deals with this, the first person says to him, I took that one coin that you gave me, I used it for your business and now I have ten. Tenfold increase. The master says, well done, good slave, 
Because you have been faithful in a very little thing, you are to be in authority over ten cities. He doesn't say you get to just keep the ten coins, but he said you're going to be in authority over ten cities. And the next one says, I took that one coin you gave me and I've made five with it. Well done, good slave. You're going to be over five cities. Third one comes. I should have got a coin, but says to the master, hey, here's that coin you gave me. I'm just going to give it back to you. I kept it safe. I polished it. Made sure nothing happened to it. And specifically, he says this, I was afraid of you because you are an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down and reap what you did not sow. Very similar to the parable of the talents. The end result is the same as that parable as well. The master would say to him, by your own words, I will judge you, worthless slave. You knew I was an exacting man. You knew I reaped where I did not sow, and yet you didn't do anything. You could have just at least put it in the bank and made some interest. Now, I realize God doesn't need the money that we have, the money that is in our possession or in our control, so, so don't misunderstand that God is looking on you to become wealthy and make a lot of interest, and that's not the purpose of the passage, nor is it the purpose of this message, but it is the purpose of the passage and the purpose of the message to understand this. That how we treat and how we think about that which belongs to him is important. And it's primarily important because, once again, it's about value. It's about trust. God gives specific ways in his word that he wants us to deal with money. Specific things that he wants us to do. Use it for His glory. He wants us to be generous in helping others. Many of the passages in the New Testament about giving, it's not about giving to your local church. It's about giving to those in need and helping other people. But it does not exclude giving to the local church. And in fact, that is an assumption and it is a, what I would say, a mandate. Heard someone say this the other day, the first 10%. Your tithes, in essence, go to the local church, and after that you do what you want to or whatever God tells you to do. Tithe is a ten, it's 10%, it's one-tenth. But if you, don't, if you don't pay tithes, can you make it to heaven? Maybe. Here's why. It's not just the act of paying tithes. It's not just the act of I'm giving money to the local church. And once again, I'm in a unique place. Not a dime of what you give goes to me. So I'm not saying I need to live better, so you need to pay more tithes and offering. Don't, don't, don't hear something I'm not saying. But this is why I say that the answer is maybe. 
because it's about value. It's about trust. Many people say, I can't afford to pay tithes. I need all of that. What I would tell you is you can't afford not to pay tithes. Because what you're, in essence, saying is I can do more with that 100% than God can help me do with the 90. But what I would tell you is God can do more with your 90 than you can do with your 100. He's a God who blesses. He's a God who believes in the principle of sowing and reaping. So when you give to the kingdom, guess what? God gives back. I just told somebody the other day, on three different occasions, we gave all of our savings. Dave Ramsey special, three to six months savings. And God said, give this. Okay. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, is what Job said, right? The trust issue is this, is if I give this, and I lose my job next week, is God going to take care of me? And the answer is, yeah. <laughs> He's the only reason I got it anyway. So I'm not trusting my savings. You have to be wise. The Bible doesn't say don't save. But it does say you can't serve God and money. No man, Jesus said, can serve two masters. And he uses the Aramaic word mammon, which means wealth or riches. You can't serve God and mammon. It's one or the other. And so when God gives us mammon, how we handle that determines on whether we're serving it or we're serving him. You can't love one or the other. And he ties it not just serving it, but to loving money. Love of money is the root of all evil. There's nothing wrong or dirty about money. Jesus has paid his taxes. He even did a miracle to pay his taxes. Hey, Peter, reach down there, get a, grab that fish, look in his mouth. But are you serving money? You're serving God. Are you trusting money? You're trusting God. Are you valuing what money can buy you more than doing what God wants you to do with his resources? Sowing and reaping, the one who gives back that one coin says, I, I kept it safe for you. The master takes it away and gives to the one who did more. The one who took the one coin and turns it into ten, who's now rulers over ten cities, he gets that eleventh coin and gets another city. Why? Because you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. But you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. That is also the principle of use it or lose it. Look at your neighbor, use it or lose it. That sounds really theological there. But if you don't do what God asks to do with money and resources that he puts in our control, nowhere does it say, all right, well, I'm just going to let you slide. Every story he gives, he takes it away. And I'm overdue as I'm not going to get into the fact that I studied Greek and Hebrew in seminary and 
Or I took two years of French in high school and I know about ten French words. Why? Because I didn't use it. So I lost it. I don't do with God's resources what he wants me to do with it. I will lose it. That 100% won't go near as far as I think it will when I don't do things his way. Lastly, or second to the end, maybe we'll make it last. The principle of increasing responsibility. The more you do for God, the more he blesses you with so you can do things for him. People that give are always blessed. People that are generous, people that do with money what God wants them to do, people that trust God more than money, people that value God more than money, God continues to bless them so that they can use things for his kingdom. Now, I realize, once again, it's not the most spiritual thing, but let me turn it to somewhat of a spiritual thing as Anna comes to the piano. One of the questions that, that people have when talking about money, and, and when I say something like, it's what the Bible says, that everything belongs to God. And if I, if I ask for a show of hands, everybody in this room would say, yep, yeah, that's what you said. But I'm not sure every hand would go up that you really believe that. So I'm not going to ask a show of hands because I, want, I don't want to feel like I wasted my time here. <laughs> You've heard me talk about David when he wants to build the temple. And God says, no. Too much blood on your hands. And David, even though he can't build the temple, he gets all of the stuff together for the temple gold and silver cedars of Lebanon these great trees to use in the construction of the temple stores it all up in 1 Chronicles 29 when he looks at what he's done and people are looking at what he's done and they're going look at all that David has given look at all he's brought together David said this isn't anything because it all belonged to him anyway that David understood that everything he had belonged to God and so when he gave the gold and the silver and the cedars of Lebanon for Solomon his son to build the temple with when he became king it wasn't a big deal so when we as Christians are generous and we give we pay our tithes and offerings and like man look at them no, it's, it's just his anyway. It's not mine. It's, it all belongs to him. But then you look at people that aren't serving God. People that don't know God. They don't know the God of the Bible. And you look at what they have. There are a lot of people out there with a lot of money. You can drive through places in Johnson County and go like, man, what in the world do these people do? My in-laws live in Raymore, and so we take the 143rd Street over to 150, and
And when you get over near Leewood and you see some of these houses, you're like, what do these people do? You, you look at the stuff they do at Christmas time, they're like, man, they're probably spending $25,000, $30,000 just having somebody put up Christmas lights. Like, what do they do? Asaph, the psalmist, he looked at that himself. He looked around and he, he saw that these people, they're not serving God. They have lots of money. They don't seem to have a care in this world. Everything goes good. They're healthy. They're wealthy. Everybody likes them. They're celebrities. That... And he would say this in Psalm 73. And I'll quote it in King James because it's what I'm most familiar with. He said, he said my foot almost slipped. I, I was well nigh gone from walking out on God. I, 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 was just, I was just about ready to walk out on God. Because I saw the prosperity of the wicked and I, I saw how everything was going good for them and everything in their life seemed so great. And in my life, it just, it just wasn't that good and they had more money and they, they were healthy and they had just better things and I was almost ready to turn my back. And I like the phrase, the way he, used it, he uses that. And I, I said it already, my, I was foot almost slipped. I almost went down this slippery slope and I almost fell. He says, but then I went into the house of God and I understood their end. Why do they have more if it all belongs to God? All I can say is God's gracious and maybe God's letting them have it so they can maybe at some point come to Him and say, thank you for giving all of this to me. Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel, he said, look at all I've done. Even after God had already told him, look what I'm, I'm going to do with you and through you. And he says, look what I've done. And God said, don't do that. And he spent seven years out in the field crawling around on his hands and knees, his hair like eagle's feathers and his hands like fingernails like claws until he came to his senses and said, oh, God, you're really the one who did it all. So maybe he's doing that and maybe God is, is allowing them to have great riches and great wealth and all of these other things. But what Asaph would say is this. When I went into the house of God, I understood it didn't really matter how much money I had. It didn't matter how great things were going in my life because my end is an eternity with God. And their end is not that that all of the blessings that they're going to get, they're getting right now. That all of the, the benefits they're going to get, they're getting it right now. And when this life is over, it's not going to be good. So I'm not looking at the prosperity of the wicked. I'm looking at the one who gives me something and it's for me to do his will and his purpose and his way with what he puts in my possession. That when he puts that coin in my hand and says, do my business. That's all I can worry about. That I don't have to look at them. I just need to look at Him. And say, He is coming back and there is going to be a day that I answer to Him for how I live and for what I do with the things that He gives me. And I don't know about you, but I feel the presence of God in this place. And I, and I feel and recognize that there are people in this room that it's your desire to please God. 
It's your desire to do everything that you can, everything that you know to please Him and to live for Him. So that's your desire today. I'm going to ask you to stand where you, and come to the front. Just once again, as that act of faith, saying, God, I'm going to do what you want, and I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to use the things you put in my possession. I'm going to use them for your glory. It is the privilege of stewardship. It's not just a responsibility. It's not just a requirement. But it's a privilege, Lord, to take what belongs to you, to use it for your kingdom and for your purpose. God, we thank you for your abundant blessings. We don't want to hoard your blessings, Lord. We don't want to hoard what you have put in our hands, but we want to be generous. We want to be gracious with what you have done, and we want to use it your way. We want to use it your way for your purpose, Lord, because you are Jireh, the one who provides.